Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. This is the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. And on today's show, I've got a very special guest and, and a, a child uh, role model of mine. Uh, I've got Martin of Fire. Martin is a English former professional rugby league and rugby union footballer who played in the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. He was inducted into the Rugby League Hall of Fame in 2013 having scored over 500 tries during his rugby league career, making him the third highest try scorer and top try scorer English player of all time. He now features in a statue of great rugby league players outside Wembley Stadium. He has represented Great Britain and England nationally as a representative playing on the wing, and due to his running speed, he was nicknamed Chariots of Fire after the film Chariots of Fire while playing amateur rugby at Roslyn Park. Martin played for English rugby league clubs such as Widnes, Wigan, London Broncos and Salford City Reds and in Australia for Sydney's Eastern Suburbs and St George's Clubs. It is believed that the England rugby anthem Swing Low Sweet Charity was first sung at Twickenham while a fire was playing in the middle six sevens in 1987. So welcome on to the show Martin. My pleasure. That was a pretty long intro. <laughs> I obviously grew up with you playing for Wigan, whereas yeah. and, and uh, what what kind of uh, does it bring back for you? Because obviously, watching back, you know, highlight reels for rugby rugby league, especially, you'll be one of the people that they would showcase. Yeah, very much so, and that's what sport is about. At the end of the day, it's legacy. It's you know. It's about what you can do, you know, for the people watching, how you can emotionally connect with them, how you can emotionally connect with future generations. You know, I watch clips of sportsmen, you know, like Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson, you know, people who are either no longer with us or, or not playing anymore. And, you know, that's how you, you know, especially if you, you know, you're getting into the love of the sport, you want to know about the history of it, you know, who are the greats, who, you know, who, who are you competing with or who are the people that you're watching? Who are you judging them against? Because it's always about, you know, sport is about longevity. That's how we uh, judge the great ones, don't we? Because there are many people who have done great things who, who are not remembered, you know, one you know, one Wimbledon, maybe back in 1920, we won't remember them, but if they won 10 Wimbledons, then chances are we're more likely to remember them. You know, people like Michael Jordan, you know, and uh, uh, Mr. Redgrave, you know, you win one Olympic gold medal, you go back, you win again, you win again. And it's that consistency, because we always understand that, you know, if it's your day, then, um, you know, uh, if you are truly blessed, then, you know, you, you can win in the uh a final or uh, you know win an olympic medal or, or do something great uh you know because history has sh shown that but the hardest and toughest thing is to go back and win consistently and that's why the champions of most seasons are the ones that won throughout the whole season and then at the end you know might have to go and, and win in a playoff or whatever but uh, you know you you definitely have to you know compete for the whole season or compete for um consecutive seasons uh, to truly be judged the greatest. And then on top of that, as I say, you've got to stand the test of time because as, pass, as time passes, um, um, you know, uh, people and careers get forgotten, but, you know, individuals and moments I always find last forever. And as I say, uh, you know, when you've got that in your head, when you are competing, uh, you know, it is about you, you're competing on, on a legacy, you're competing to be remembered then things like, you know, money or the medals themselves or, or whatever, those things, uh, you know, come and they go. But your legacy is something that's going to stay forever. So it's very important. What do you miss most about your playing days than mine? I think it's, uh, you know, playing on the big occasions, that, that rush, um, that thing that you're never going to ever feel again. Once you retire, you know, many sportsmen, you you know, obviously uh, 
uh, th those people don't succeed, you know, try and uh, replace those things with, you know, whether it's movies, music, alcohol, uh, drugs, whatever. But I suppose as human beings, we are, you know, programmed to go towards pleasure uh, and away from pain. But sometimes the true pleasure is on the other side of pain, you know, putting in that hard work, that true euphoria, that feeling of success, you know, when you see teams lifting cups and trophies and, uh, <laughs> and you know, that's on the on the back of a lot of hard work, pre-season training, injuries, uh, going to, uh, you know, travelling to distant courts and grounds and performing, uh, uh, you know, uh, doing stuff when no one's watching. And then when you come together and you actually achieve something, you know, it, it, it's that much sweeter because of what you've gone through. And then you've got the occasion, you know, there, there could be a hundred thousand people in a stadium, uh, you know, and that adds to it as well. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different ingredients that go into that recipe of, uh, you know, sport and success. I think you shared not too long ago, I think it was either on LinkedIn or Instagram, of a match against St. Helens, obviously in Britain, or, or within Rugby League, everybody knows Wigan and St. Helens rivalry. And obviously, I'm going to swear now, you got the shit obviously kicked out of you for a lot of going into tackles. And, and I think you, 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 you talked about uh, in the post of, you know, it, back in the day, you just got on with it and nothing would be... How do you get up from some of them things? Because some of them were, were malicious tackles. Yes. But, you know, when you're in a game, as people know, if you play rugby, you're all, you know, people who box or in some kind of violent collision sports. You don't really feel that pain. Don't get me wrong. Um, breaking my jaw and, you know, uh, dislocating my shoulder and stuff like that. Yeah, there's pain in that. Probably dislocating my shoulder in Australia. It's probably the most pain I've ever sort of physically experienced. But um, most of the time you're caught up in it and, um, you know, it is a mindset sort of thing. And if you want to be successful, you've got to take those on the chin, not react. You know, I know why they're doing it. I'm focused on myself and what it is that I'm trying to achieve. And other people are focused on stopping me. I know in that scenario, which person I'd rather be, which person is the, is the one who's got his eye on greatness. You know, if I've got my eye on you, I can't have my eye on you and greatness at the same time. You can only focus on one thing. So they're focused on stopping me. And I'm focused on, you know, that's when you see in, um, in sport, you know, it is so much about the narrative. Uh, you know about the story being told you know it's it's the the, the underdog it's the person who, who's chasing greatness against that person who's trying to stop them you know it, it, Wigan was on that eight-year run of challenge cups and and teams were trying to stop us you know which team do you want to be do you want to be the team search and striving for greatness and have your eye on that or do you want to have your eye on trying to stop somebody else? I, I, you know, I always knew that while they were trying to knock my head off, they were missing a, a beat. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, uh, true greatness is about striving for that. It's about trying to achieve that in the face of all negativity, negativity isn't it? When someone's trying to bash you, someone's trying to stop you, um, and try, somebody's trying to knock you down as, you know, we, we see that narrative in life, you know, uh, sometimes we try, we almost do it to ourselves, but when that's happening and all I'm thinking is I'm trying to win and score and win this game. You know, I, I know which mindset I'd rather have. Well, I think, I think, uh, especially now, I think with, with the pandemic, obviously people have, have kind of looked towards hope, motivation and things like that. To uplift themselves, so so it's nice to hear that you you talking about growth and things like that. So talk to us about the transition from. Correct me if I'm wrong. From is it union to league or is it league to union? Um, um, I mean, people have done it both ways. Uh, you know, my uh, ex Wigan teammate Jason Robson, probably the the, the best well known convert from league uh, to union. Uh, you know, I think he left Wigan in around about uh, 99, 2000, and then went on obviously to play for England in the Rugby Union World Cup. I, um, a product of my time, you know, I, was, I came out of, uh, should I say, started a rugby in a different era back in the, the mid eighties when Union was amateur. So uh, the likes of myself and Jonathan Davis came from Union to League because it was the professional code. There was a lot of players who swapped over 
from Union to League around uh, about um, the 80s and 90s. Uh, most of them were international uh, rugby union players. Uh, so likes of, um, you know, Bainga Tugamalo came over from the All Blacks. Uh, Fran Robotico came over to join Wigan also from the All Blacks. And say Jonathan Davis is a Welsh international. Um, Alan Tate, who I famously ran round at Wembley in, in 94, was a Scottish international before he ever came to play at Widnes with myself, uh, John Devereux, Paul Moriarty. Um, there's a, a myriad of players who, who switched from Union to League, uh, who became, you know, successful um uh, uh, dual internationals, but I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I, I switched over quite early. I was only 21. I uh, didn't, you know, I had, a, I had a student cap. I played for the Barbarians at Rugby Union, but I, I wasn't a full uh, uh, international. So as I say, I had a chip on my shoulder and I had something to prove. And I was playing against all these guys and, you know, um, you know, none of them have, uh, you know, probably had the, the, the careers that I have had in league, but Sometimes, as they say, it's not where you start in life, it's about where you finish. But the transition for me was, I wouldn't say easy, but it was seamless in the sense that, you know, I hit the ground running and that was all down to having a particular mindset. Um, you know, you have a mindset, you work out a strategy, you know your skills and your strengths and weaknesses. And that's, you know, the recipe for most um, people when they go into you know any sport you, you know it, it all starts with a mindset you understand where you are where you want to get to what you have to do to get there understand your niche that's what you do best and uh try and do it the best as you can you know you learn from everybody else you, know, you learn you know you're a, you're an open book uh you have to have the right personality you have to be you know confident and and humble um you have to be uh be okay with being misunderstood uh, you know, I've had that throughout my career. And, uh, you know, when people say, use terms like, you know, he's ahead of his time or he's a bit different. And no one who is going to be truly successful is not going to be looked at a little bit differently, you know, a bit freak, a bit ostracized or whatever, however you want to call it, you know, if it, especially if you're in a team sport, because you have to be a bit different. You've got to be doing, if you're doing exactly what everyone else is doing, which is going to make them feel comfortable, then you're going to be the same as them. If you're going to be, you know, I learned early on, if you're going to do different stuff, you have to be different, you know what I mean? And accept that. And, um, you know, and be, as I say, be misunderstood. People thought I was arrogant. They thought I was this, they thought I was that. And even recently, you know, I'm not going to name names, but I was working with another rugby player and, you know, he, uh, he thought that I should have been a bit more humble about something. And I just thought to myself, God, he just, he doesn't come from my experience. You know, I, I had no negativity towards that statement, but he just didn't understand me. He didn't understand, obviously being a black man. He didn't understand coming from nothing. He didn't understand the fact that when you set out a plan, you know, if you go out and you score a great goal or you score a great, great try in a game and it just happens, you can be, it's it you could go yeah you know and it never happens again you can be you know quite humble about it because it just happened and you're like yeah I went out there I played well I'm in this team and I played well is it but if you go out there and it took you you know your lifetime to get there to struggle you've been doubted you never got the breaks that you you, you thought you should get you turn every negative in your life to an advantage then someone's paid a lot of money to get you somewhere then you said to yourself I'm going to do this you go out and consistently do that and then you're still doubted and then you go out onto the big stage and say this is it I'm going to do it and then you will actually do it you're going to shout about that for the rest of your days that's a different struggle as I say to do something once is great but to do something like you know in the first 10 years I played rugby league. I was a top try scorer seven times. And the only the three other times were because I was only played half a season and I had two injuries, you know? So this is not a, this is not a, a thing that just happened. I made it happen. You know what I mean? I made it happen because of my mindset. I've written a book about, you know, scoring tries. That's how passionate I am about it. So when, when you're talking like that and then you think yourself, you've done incredible things that, don't get me wrong, you have to be humble because especially in a team sport, I don't care if you're doing 99% of the work. If someone is doing 1%, you must value that person as they're doing 
the 99% because without them, you, your 99% still doesn't get the job done. And that's the thing about being in a sport. You can be Ronaldo, you can be Pele, you can be Maradona, don't care who you are, yeah? But you can't go out there by yourself and play and become great, yeah? But then you are still different because you're that 1%, you're still that guy that if you wasn't there, then maybe they don't win either. You know what I mean? I'm talking about, and if you're not there, then what you've done may have seemed impossible. You know, everything's impossible until someone does it, you know? And mm -hmm. in some, that's why I say that, that person's a once in a generation player, because, you know, if that person was alive, then maybe you would not have seen what that person's done. You know, if, if uh, Carl Lewis wasn't around back then, or if Usain Bolt, imagine if Usain Bolt didn't exist. You know what I mean? How different would the world of athletics be? And when you get on that mindset, then it's like, you know, when you talk about with that passion, some times people can, can misconstrue that as being arrogant, but they just don't get it. It's like you have tried to achieve something, which if you hadn't achieved it, people would have thought was impossible. Yet again, you've done it. Yeah. And that's just comes from a mindset that comes from work ethic that comes from people give it lots of different names isn't it? the mamba mentality being in the zone uh michael jordan isn't it? like that is it's literally on that on that level and when you're thinking like that you, you know what i mean not a lot of people are going to think like that because you're giving your whole life to your craft what it is that you're doing and say and in the face of negativity you only give out positivity I mean, that's the only way to get ahead because otherwise you get caught, you know, if I get caught up with negativity in that match you're talking about, then all I'll be thinking about is getting revenge on those guys. If I spent, spent my time getting revenge on the guys and trying to punch them, we ain't, uh, they've done their job, isn't it? Because that's what people do. They kick you in a football match. Why? To get you off your game. They punch you in the face on a rugby match. Why? To get you off your game. Because some people don't have the right personalities and then they know that if they punch that guy, he's going to punch him back and he gets sent off. Imagine if the referee didn't see me get headbutted and then I headbutt, retaliate, and he sees me, I get sent off. That's it. I'm banned. I miss a game. I don't end up. I was so mindful that if I get caught up in that, it's taking my focus off what I'm doing. Well, I, I, I can attest to that I think my mom obviously taught me from very young to generally speaking if you retaliate you're the one that's going to get caught no matter what the severity of the other person had done you're going to feel the consequences but I think your legacy Martin is I think outside of rugby league of a lot of people that maybe not know it from you know the grassroots of Lancashire or Yorkshire like the harp and I, I, I won't dis, um, discount Cumbria because they'll probably get annoyed if I didn't, <laughs> didn't mention them as well but outside of rugby league you, you just for say the modern sense of uh, you know there's the, the, the this notion of people haven't got attention spans of watching you score in tries people probably could pinpoint you out in the street oh that's Martin on fire that's that's the person from the videos I think that's your legacy uh, now in 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 now in the twenty first century. Well, twenty first century of of that is you are one of those states person has kind of elevated the game out of its um, how would I describe it? It's hot, it's hotbed of being on the M sixty two. It's kind of given it a, a a greater presence outside of it, and people will kind of recognize it for what it's what it's worth and, and obviously if we use like the, the the current rule changes with union the the new one the 50 uh, the 2050 that's nick from rugby league yeah uh, yeah the 50 20 or what they call it yeah yeah i know i suppose you know if anyone knows anything about the history of, of rugby there was only you know one sport called rugby back prior to 1895 and then you know that's what I love about history history is my favorite subject uh, if you want to go back to the socio-economic times you know the industrial revolution and how uh you know it was only wealthy men who could take time off to uh practice and uh, become you know successful sportsmen you know being a professional was a dirty word uh, back in the day if you're a professional crypto professional footballer you know it was meant to be for the love of the game you know I know my nickname comes from Chariots of Fire and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a really good document, uh, kind of a, a series uh, which documents that time called The English Game, which is more about football 
but it's still around the same time it's the same kind of mentality about you know these northern upstarts and who you know once the industrial revolution came about people with innovation and uh different uh you know ideas could then become rich uh because you know they had an idea for for doing something you know they, they built a factory and made this made those products and then so you started to get um working class people who became rich and then they wanted to obviously um you know go against the establishment and they looked to try and you know beat the posher teams from down south so then they started circumventing the rules and you know getting players from other towns to come and work in their mills and then they didn't actually pay them but they just uh gave them what was broke basically broken time payment they still paid them while they were training so they weren't effectively getting paid to play they were just getting still paid for their work while they were training um which was you know then led to certain teams getting banned so in 1895 uh, you know a few teams in the north broke away and started what was then the northern union which went on to become i think in the early 19 04s, 05s, went on to become the Rugby Football League and the, the the sport just evolved. You know, they started to obviously think they want to make some money from it. So they started to, because to, rugby was a very boring game back in um, in the 1800s. I didn't realise uh, there were 20 men on the pitch. <laughs> so that's 40, uh, 40 people total in the first international between England and Scotland. Because uh, I was at... Um, uh, Twickenham recently uh, uh, I've gone full circle I was invited into uh, the Royal Box to watch England versus Wales and I was looking on the wall in, in one of the inner sanctum suites and um, it was a, a oil painting of the first ever uh, rugby union international um, between England and Scotland and I counted all the people on the pitch and there were 20 um, uh, blue jer Scottish jerseys and there were only 19 uh, white jerseys and I always thought why is that and someone informed me that uh, one person had gone to play rugby league so they painted him out of that picture <laughs> that's how big the animosity was between the classes back then and if you go back into history and you know I, I, I'm fascinated and that's why you know the England rugby team is probably disliked by all the other Celtic nations and and everyone else because of the history of, of England you know and and England has shied away from its history because it, you know it's been a great conqueror and influence of the world done lots of great things that's why we uh study the um the second world war quite a lot and the first world war in our history lessons because we like to uh learn about when we were the good guys <laughs> and the times when we you know we, we don't tend to learn about the, the, the slavery and and all the other murky things and and the potato famines and all the bits because you know it's probably the, the 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 part of english history that we probably shy away from and that's why now you know people take i'm i'm not i've never been an advocate of of, st of statues taken down and stuff like because i think you've got to embrace all your history um you know good and bad as i do my own individual his history you know whether that was you know <laughs> being uh, chastised thoroughly by my parents or or being abused uh uh you know when i'm playing a game at whole that's all my history and it's made me who i am today it's given me empathy for others uh it's uh you know uh giving me success you know i always say that if i wasn't abused by those people at whole who i who sometimes send me messages now uh, in 2022 apologize i said don't do that without your abuse you know and me thinking to myself i'm gonna keep these people quiet today by, by scoring a try, I wouldn't, you know, that's what I say, whatever life throws at you, problems, whatever, you know, problems are blessings. And I didn't realize that at the, at the time, I was just trying to um, be successful. I don't know where it came from in me, but I just knew that if you, you know, if I allow people to, to shift my focus, then it takes me off track. I've got to use any negativity. I've got to use it as a spur to be better. And that's what we do in life, is it? We take our problems and they, and they you know, move us off the dime and they make us better. So you've got to you know, thank, be thankful for all your problems. Just be thankful that you're in the game. Do you believe, obviously we haven't mentioned your, your, your Nigerian parents. Do you think that's where your work, if we use a stereotype of the Af African work ethic, yeah. do you think that's where it comes from for you? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, my parents are all uh, learned people, um, you know, came over to this country. Um, my dad, uh, 
got called to the bar, studied law. My mother was a school teacher. I always joke that I'm the only person in my family without a degree. Uh, but then I um, caveat that with I'm the only one with an MBE. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so go figure. Uh, <laughs> there's four of them all with degrees, uh, but none of them got an MBE between them. But um, yes, you know, that's the way, you know, life is, you know, you have to, to prosper. Don't take it too seriously. Um, you know, go after what it is that you want to go after. Yes, my parents were, were hardworking, you know, diligent. I, I'd say I definitely have to thank my brother for um, giving me that, um, you know, that never say die, never give up attitude as I was the, the runt of the litter. Both my sister and brother were far better sportsman than I was and used to regularly beat me down and beat me at races and you know I can never beat my brother at anything but I never gave up I never gave up um you know so it gave me that um um that mentality that you just don't give up as long as you don't give up you're in the game because if you set a goal one of three things can happen one and one and giving up is one of them you can either give up die or succeed those are the only three things that can happen so as long as you don't give up, you're always in the game. When you say die, it could be that could be the game's over. You know, the whistle's gone, game's gone, it's dead, isn't it? Um, but um, you know, so that's why in a game, until the, the, they blow the whistle, never give up. And if you never give up, we've seen it just even recently. I remember watching a foot match with my son because sometimes in life you learn the same lessons over and over again. And then uh, I think it was Man City played in the Real Madrid and it was about 87 minutes ago and they're like two goals down. And my son said to me, oh, dad, let's watch something else. This game's over. And I was like, oh, okay. And it turns out they won. And I was like, sometimes in life you still learn the same lessons over and over again. Because nine out of 10 times that probably was over. But, you know, it, that one time, which could be your time, so don't give up. That's why you should never give up. Never take your eye off your focus, and once just be thankful that you're in the game. You know, as long as you're still fighting, and the ultimate game is life, isn't it? As long as we're still above ground, we're still in the game, regardless of what illness we're suffering from, what our finances are like. Just there's always something. As long as you're above ground, there's always something to be grateful for. There are people who are in whatever situation in your life, there's someone in the worst opposition that was going to succeed. You know what I mean? It's like people who think they're close to death and then they, you know, they might only have three days to live, but then there could be somebody who's got all the health and vitality, thinks they've got their whole life ahead of them. Go get hit by a bus. You've outlived that person <laughs> already. You know what I mean? So we don't know how these things are going to play out. So it's just why right. you just got to be grateful and hang in there. And, uh, you know, I always had that mentality for my brother. I remember a story playing, uh, I think it was in the summer of 76, was, uh, uh, a very hot summer, anyone who's old enough to remember that summer. And I think the West Indies came over and were playing a test, uh, test uh, series against England. I just remember during the, you know, the lunch break or the afternoon tea, I would go and bowl out, bowl and play cricket. Uh, against my brother, we didn't have playstations and all those kind of things to to keep us busy back in the day. You had to make your own entertainment <laughs> and stuff. Uh, so we went out, you know, chopped up a piece of. We didn't even have a cricket bat. We used to like just get a, a a fence panel and just get a saw and cut a handle out and wrap some stuff around it, and that's a piece of wood. And that's how we used to make our bat. And then obviously a tennis ball for a ball. And um, I just remember I used to bowl them all day. And God, I used to think to myself, I'm going to get this guy out if it kills me and I'd be there you know and I just knew that eventually if I keep putting that ball on the line eventually he's going to nick it get an edge and he's going to be out you know <laughs> and that's kind of thing in life you just keep turning up keep turning up eventually you win and that then that's also developing your mentality as well as your skill you know what I mean <laughs> me bowling every day to him you know what I mean it meant that I would get better and if he didn't bowl because he batted all the time then he's not going to get better than me at bowling because um because i'm gonna because i did it more it's like i, I learned that the more you did something the better you got no matter how good or bad you are at something the more you do it you're going to get better at it you're going to improve and so if you compete against yourself and not look at you know because people get put off track because you're, you're as long as you're improving if you're better than you were last week that's got to be good enough for you but people look over there and think oh he's really good he's really good so then that distracts you again takes your focus off you're not focused on what you should be doing that's your day everyday practice you give up 
not realizing that maybe if you just carried on with it, you might end up being better than them. You know, there's lots of different advantages. They might have been doing it longer than you. You know what I mean? It's like they call it, was it, I don't know what the, the hour is or how many, 10,000 hours it is or whatever. You know what I mean? They might have done 8,000 of that 10,000. You might have only done 1,000 or you might have only done 600. So obviously they're going to be better than you, but you don't think of that. They might be more physically adept than you are at so maybe you haven't found your niche you know what I mean maybe it's like that you could, you could try something different or do something different but you know you just got to focus on yourself if you, what you're doing is what you love just focus on yourself you'll get better you know at it and if you want to change and pivot and do something else then yeah you can do that but sometimes in life we let other people as I say, take our focus off what it is that we're doing, whereas we should just be getting better, you know, believe, that's why you've got to believe in yourself, really. And even when no one else is believing in you, because if you continue to work hard and show improvement, sooner or later, other people start to believe in you, isn't it? <laughs> when you show them something, if you show them nothing, then no one's going to believe in you, only you. Bear with me, Martin. Sorry. Is this true then? Because obviously Wikipedia got to give it with yeah. a pinch of salt. You did fencing at school. Yes, I did. Fencing was my um, first sport that I really got into and started to see improvement and to see and to, you know, have the goals in. Um, yeah, I remember fight because people may remember I used to wear a red gold every game I played of rugby, whether it's union or league. If you go look at it, if it's a picture or footage of me, I'll have had one red, gold and green sweatband, superstition, another big sporting thing, and one red, white and blue sweatband. And that comes from fencing because I used to have, I used to have, I've got skinny wrists. I used to wear two Rastafarian sweatbands. And then I would, because obviously in, in, in fencing, there's a lot of sweat and you just take off and wipe my brow and everything. And I remember that I went to fight in France against some Frenchman who was, who was meant to be so much better than me. And I beat this Frenchman in the final. And it was, I was almost thinking about going to take um, fencing seriously, uh, you know, really seriously. But then after I fought this, um, this Frenchman, he just couldn't believe that I'd beaten him. And he insisted that, because um, he had two French sweatbands. So he insisted that we swap sweatbands. So from that day on, I'd always worn this French sweatband and one Rastafarian sweatband. And um, yeah, that's just, just how I really just, approached it, it just taught me something that you know about success and about driving and striving to to, to to do things but then as you know i decided you know i could have carried on that course but i decided to pivot into rugby because i just thought to myself you know even if i do become like the greatest fencer you know how's that going to help me <laughs> you can't you know you, you can't become a professional because i i was had this thing that i wanted to become a professional sportsman i thought I can't become a professional fencer. I thought that's not gonna happen. Just thankfully that the school that I went to, Wolverton Hall, which is a very uh, great school, an incredible school, um, set up after the Second World War to give boys from an inner London uh, area, uh, you know, access to um, um, a public school education. Um, it, was, it was a grammar school, it, was, it had a big rugby tradition. And rugby obviously also was uh, amateur at the time, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, that's why I, I did cricket as well. So cricket was the first um, sport that I um, sort of tried to, you know, play after school professionally. The summer of '85, I left school and I went down to Essex. A guy called Ray East, who was a, a spin bowler for Essex, took me down to Essex, and I um, had a summer there. Uh, room, I uh, roomed and played with Nasser Sain, who was a uh, a uh, future England captain and uh, open batsman. And um, yeah, I used to bowl in the nets with a guy called John Lever, who was another left-arm bowler. Uh, I famously bowled Graham Gooch out, who was an uh, England uh, test opening batsman in the nets. Um, but yeah, I just, for some reason, I just, my heart wasn't in it. Uh, didn't have a particularly great debut playing for six seconds. <laughs> didn't get any wickets and didn't get any runs. <laughs> and it was three days of like, oh God, I can't be doing this for the rest of my life. So I thought even if rugby is amateur, I'd rather go and do that, play for England. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully somebody will give me a job. That was my life's plan. I wasn't, I wasn't too um, 
bright educationally, you know, I think I suffered from a bit of dyslexia, and, you know, I had problems with learning and it was tough for me. I only got four O, le four o levels, GCSEs now as they are. I, had to, I spent the whole year retaking uh, four more GCSEs so I could get eight, then I could go to do, sorry, my cat is possibly <laughs> part of a, the podcast to do eight so I could do my A levels and then um that happened there's only got one a level so yeah um academia was tough for me but i always knew that um yeah you know rugby would play a big part of my future and i wasn't wrong what what was it like then at that age with obviously your brother and sister going on to obviously get degrees in the end in your, in your household what, what was mother and, what was mom and dad like would you go in and i want to go it, to sport it, it was Tough. It was really, really tough. If I'm honest, um, they, you know, obviously my parent, my mum, especially being a school teacher. I'll tell you a funny story about my mum, and that is, <laughs> used to write home from boarding school letters to my mum, who's a school teacher, who then used to probably send the letters back. <laughs> she used to, to be marked. She used to mark my letters home. So basically, it was like English. Uh, essay and she's like have the punctuation and spelling mistakes corrected in my letters home which I thought I can understand what she's doing but it was that was tough I didn't write home too much after that I think but um you know they always want me to be better and I was the runt of the litter I, you know I have memories of you know times uh, my parents you know having conversations after I've gone to bed and I'd sneak to the live to the living room door and there'd be thinking of, you know, what are they going to do with me? And my dad wanted to send me back to Nigeria. And my mum said, no, because, um, you know, the education system over there, you know, wouldn't understand me. And, I, you know, it'd be worse for me. And then me obviously said I wanted to play rugby and then stopped me saying I should focus on my exams, um, you know, at 16. And I felt that that hindered me a little bit in trying to get into, you know, national schools teams. Uh, because I wasn't allowed to go to anything, you know, when it was exam time, I just had to just forget rugby and just study, and and uh, you know, which which I totally understood. But I wanted to do to do both. So I had to do secret training and and stuff like that. And I remember that you know she um, when I got the chance to go and play in the um, Hong Kong Sevens in uh, 1987. Imagine that I've been out of school two years, and I said I'm going to play in this. Um, uh, sevens tournament she said no you're not I said you've got your you know it's easter so she said you've got exams coming up soon and i was like i don't care about these exams these exams are not going to determine my future imagine this i've got the chance to go and play uh, england didn't send international teams out to the hong kong sevens back in the day they used to send invitational sides like the penguins and, and people like that but then you do all but the southern hemisphere sides used to send their best players like you know the all blacks you know what's um um I don't think South Africa were playing them because of apartheid or whatever. Um, but so they couldn't send the team out. But you know, yeah, you know, Western Samoa, uh, Fiji, you know, all these big teams. And I thought I've got to have the opportunity to go and play against these guys. And I thought, no, this is an opportunity that I, I cannot miss. And if I didn't make that bolt, I'd say that's the decision that changed my life. Because if I don't go out and and do that, then um, I don't know where I would be because that. From going out there, there's in my autobiography, there's a picture of me and um, the All Blacks after the after the game. And I remember get, getting a, a copy of, of, of that picture. And in that picture, there's got people like Vaiga Tugamala, who came to play with me at Wigan in a few years. Um, I think Zinzan Brooks in that picture, who, who's actually um, giving me a hug. And ironically, uh, my son is going to school with his daughter at Wellington, one of the top schools in the country in, in September. It's funny how life goes about, but there's Mark Brook Cowden there, went on to play for Leeds. There's so many, you know, top players in that picture. I'm thinking if I didn't do that, and then that was, a, I remember it was the first place I'd ever signed an autograph, because I was literally a nobody. I came from school, I turned up at Roslyn Park Store, they put me in the fifths, 15. They didn't know who I was, I was like, a skinny kid. To so put him in the fifths, I scored five tries. They put me in the fourths, I scored a hat-trick. They put me in, I think I missed the thirds. They put me in the seconds. I think I scored a couple of hat tricks, and then I got an opportunity to play in the first. And so that's how my life has been. It's like people didn't know who I was, or you know, even in my own family at the rugby club at school, I was always, I've always had to do that. So I'm saying when I meet people and they call me, 
arrogant and they call me and I'm thinking man you don't know my story to call me arrogant you know what I mean you don't know where I've come from what I've endured uh, what I'm about to do go against my parents no that's a, to go against my gym parents is the toughest thing in the world to do all this to make all these steps and if I didn't go against my parents and when I came back from that competition I had to go live at my mate Chris's house <laughs> Chris Obi, because um I was too scared to go home imagine that I'm too scared to go back to my own house and I'm like you know what I mean? I'm 20 years of age or something. I was too scared to go back home. You know, I was, I was too fearful of what she would say because I'd, I'd literally got my passport and just and fled. But doing that, you know, as soon as I got back, everyone started saying, who's who's this guy? You know, imagine that. I'm, I'm going up playing against the All Blacks and no one's ever heard of me. Like, who is this guy? Scoring a hatchet against Western Samoa on the top try scores in the competition. And you come back next minute, you know, I'm in the Barbarians team. I'm in the final trial for England. I'm, they, I'm all of a sudden, I'm in the England students team. I'm just like, one minute, I'm nothing. Next minute, boom, all this is happening. Uh, I played them in the sevens. And then, uh, you know, this is when this whole sort of Chariots of Fire, Swing Low thing was that happened in 87. That was the middle of sevens of 87. And then, you know, I'm sitting in my house thinking, what am I going to do in my life? I didn't get picked to, to play for England in the first World Cup, even though I scored two tries against Rory Underwood, who was a current incumbent England winner in like a final trial game in London. I'd got, draw, I'd got drawn into this game because the one of the wingers got injured. So they just said, okay, let's get this guy in. Got me in the team, scored two tries against Rory Underwood. I thought I'm going to the World Cup, you know? It didn't happen, things like, you know, I, I literally say I was an internet sensation before the internet. The stuff that I was doing is stuff that would go viral now, but there was nothing. It was just like word of mouth. People saying, oh, have you seen this guy? And you know, I think Ray French is a BBC commentator, famously tells a story of how two of his pupils from Waterloo School, sorry, from Waterloo Rugby Club, uh, two of his former pupils come back and say, oh, they're raving about this guy. They played at Mosin Park and this guy scored this unbelievable try. I remember this try to this day. That I remember that I just got the ball. I think I was playing on the left wing and I just ran across. Didn't know what I was doing half the time. I just ran across <laughs> my own um, try line, which you shouldn't do. But then I hung a left right at the end and went, and score the try. And that's that thing that people actually go, you know, when you make somebody go, wow, what the hell is that? And that was a, a powerful thing that I learned early, you know, that if you can make people do that, that's a powerful thing that's going to stay with people and people are going to talk about that. That's why things like that now go viral, don't they? Like people like, uh, it happens now, like you go about, wow, you, you post it to your mate. And, you, and if it, it's something that truly makes it, someone go, wow, that's how things go viral. And so there was no internet then. So it was the, the only way you could go viral back in the day was, you know, be on the news or word of mouth. <laughs> that, that was it. That was the only two ways you went viral back in the day. And that's a lot of people hearing about you. And um, so, yeah, they came back and they said to Ray French, oh, about this. And then so Ray French famously um, went to Helen's and told them about me. Apparently they sent somebody down to watch me. Obviously I could have had a very good game because their verdict was I was an uncoordinated clown. <laughs> and um, but apparently he went to Doug Lawton, who was the witness coach, told him about me. And that's when um, uh, he came, he found some way to get, get hold of me and uh, found my telephone number. I think he found the club and said he was a reporter or his, I think his, his um, sidekick, a guy called Eddie McDonald did and said he was a reporter and he was doing a story. And then, you know, imagine that in this modern day, just ringing a club and get the player's number, it would never happen. But back in, you know, in the eighties, you could do that. Uh, they were probably just happy to get some press. So yeah, I was just literally sitting in my front room wondering what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. And the phone rang and it was um, um, this guy called Eddie McDonald saying, oh, I'm here with the, the coach of uh, Witness Rugby League Club. and." Um, um, Doug Lawton, he wants to have a word of you. And I was like, yeah, I'll have a chat. And then I had a chat and then, you know, they came down to London, met me uh, in Frinsley Park. And I remember thinking to myself that um, whatever they say, I'm going to say no. Because <laughs> I knew, was, you know, I knew that rugby league was always something that I could watch. It was in the back of my mind because I'd watched it a couple of times. I thought you could earn money at it. And I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll play rugby union first and, uh, you know, get a job, get a, you know, that'll probably look after me because I always knew that from my days playing at Ipswich that, you know, if you was good at anything, even if you was an amateur, people tend to look after you, you know what I mean? That's happened from time, even want to go back in history, you know, going back to, say, going back to the times of like, you know, even if I go back to medieval times, if you was like a, a pauper, 
but you just were had this amazing skill for sword fighting and then it got to the local lord of the manor and then he would be your benefactor wouldn't he he'd like come and take you put you in the castle teach you and whatever so whatever skill you know from times you know there's always been people love people with skill and if you could sing really great or you had any kind of talent there'll be somebody with money who would be you know your benefactor and be your champion that's how you know talent and talent and money have always gone gone together you know what I mean we've seen it now in the modern world it's called x factor isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean you have the talent I've got the money we'll exploit you or whether you was a boxer a prize fighter even in the days of slavery you know what I mean if you could box then you know what I mean they used to you'd be this plantation's boxing champion and you'd probably have better rations or even going back to the gladiatorial times in amphitheaters of Rome you know what I mean if you could fight or if you could do anything good you know what I mean you had a better life than somebody of your same ilk with no talent so that's when you know what I mean being a fan of history and where we what where you've come from and being a, a fan of your own history and your own struggles uh, you know, is, is very important. That's why I say, unless you sit down and have a long conversation like this with somebody, you can't make judgments about whether they're arrogant, whether they're this, whether they're that, when they've, you don't know what they're going through. And that's why, you know, you know, when I see people having road rage and I think so, I don't know what that guy's going through. You know what I mean? He, his mum could be dying. He could be, you know, you know, one, 10 pounds away from getting his house repossessed or whatever, that makes people do that. You know what I mean? So that's why I knew when I'm playing against people and they're bashing me up, you know, it could be because, you know, their, their coaches told them, unless if, if Martin Fire scores today, you're, you know what I mean? You're not getting another contract or whatever. You know, just fear makes people do all those things. You know what I mean? And not understanding it. And that's why life is all about mentality, isn't it? About your psychology, what you think about other people, what you think about yourself, what you think about the world. And to understand that be and give people a break, be be nice to people, even when they're being horrible to you, which is a tough skill. Don't get me wrong, but when you believe in what you're doing and you've got those successes, then you can look back and think to yourself, yeah, yeah, man, I was on I was on the right track. <laughs> Definitely on the right track. Mark and said to you, my estimation of you have gone up. It's like I, I, I viewed you as probably growing up as a sportsman as Oh, I, it would be. What would it be like to be like, like you, so, or other sportsmen? Whereas now, having the fortune to speak to you in person, which not very many people get to do in in this day and age, it it, it kind of it shows the full package of you know you've gone through hardship, you've gone through difficulties. You you pretty much like the underdog story of it. It wasn't necessarily all roses. No, not at all. But I mean, that that's, you know, you've got a strategy, you've got a plan, you've got a desire. Those are the three things that you need in life to be successful. <laughs> you know I mean, you've got to have desire, you know what I mean? You've got to want to do it. You know what I mean? You've got to find your reason why. Yeah, why do I want to do this? You know, where does it come from? Um, you know, instinctive, I said, I must have had a, a chip on my shoulder from being the, the, the youngest of three, you know, um, being um, obviously marginalised, looked down on, voted, uh, most likely to not succeed, parents having conversations, what we're going to do with them, being left-handed, um, uh, being African, you know, even, you know, being black was a thing back <laughs> back in the day. But then being African, you was even on the bottom of that, you know, people used to call you Kunta Kente and, and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, even West Indians back in the 70s used to take the piss out of me. I was a low to the low, you know what I mean? Even now it's like, it's great. To be, it's funny how things change around, but now everyone wants to be African now because the roots of the culture, Afro beats, you know what I mean? Stormzy, all the big music people, uh, Jay Huss, everyone's African now, you know what I mean? But back in the day, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. So there's, that's why I say it's, you've got to know your history because if you understand yourself and understand where you come from, your struggles, and it empowers you, and then in the face of all negativity, you only show, you get some something positive out of it. That is, that is how life advances. If you just, in the face of negativity, if you give it back, then nothing moves forward. That's how what vendetta, how vendettas happen, isn't it? You kill one of my gang or one of my family, I'll kill one of yours. I kill three of yours, you kill four of mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just keeps going, you don't get anywhere. Just like what happened in Ireland. You can only have, when someone says, that's what, you know what I mean? In the face of like negativity and killing mine said, okay, you killed mine, but 
let's stop now. Let's just have peace. Let's try and move it forward. Someone has to be the bigger person. Someone's got to move it forward. You know what I mean? You can't, that's only, and that's acts for a mass of people. We've seen it, whether it's in wars, how the wars end, you know what I mean? We've seen it in South Africa, you know, we've seen it in some, in Northern Ireland, we have to see it. That's the only way it happens is someone has to be the bigger person say, okay, what, what's gone is gone. You, you spat at me, you've in, uh, called me a black, whatever, you've done something negative to me, but you know what? I'm gonna look for the benefit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that as motivation to do something good. You know what I mean? I'm gonna break the cycle. It's like, you know, when the bully, the bully doesn't become a bully because most people that say who are bullies it's because somebody's bullied them, isn't it? You know what I mean? A lot of people do bad things in this world. It's because like they were either abused as a young kid and they've grown up and then they start abusing other people, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like, so that's why you've got to try and think to yourself, okay, this is something negative happened to me. I don't know where this is. I know where it's come from. It's because my dad, my dad wrote books. My, I should say you copy my dad's book called Understanding Your Emotions. You know, it's like we as human beings and, you know, sport is, is something where it gets played out for the masses. But, you know, everyone's this, the story that I'm telling is it's just the story of a normal human being. We're all normal. It's just that some of us can find a way of doing extraordinary things. But, you know, you know better than anyone. We know that just because you can do extraordinary things is no better. That's why you're blessed because, you know, Someone's giving you speed. It's not like I'm not great. The only reason I got speed is because either however I want to logic logic it out, it's either God or because of my parents or my ancestors or whatever, or whatever. So it's a gift, you know. It's a gift. It's something that you should use and and try and make a, a better world and compete, you know, for yourself for everyone else. And it is, it's about it's about life, and that's what I love about sport. It's because it's it's life played out on. On that stage, and there's villains, there's good people, there's the ones that succeed, and there's the ones that find their niche. You know what I mean? I would say in life, if you can run fast, you can jump, and you're six foot ten, it's a pretty no-brainer. You go and play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I finally heard Le- LeBron James. I know I shouldn't should even comment on LeBron James, but you know I heard him saying that um, you know he should be, be here because of you know where he came from. But I just thought you know it's, it's it's everyone plays basketball and you know it's adjustment for myself and when I said it I thought oh god maybe I, you know I shouldn't judge that because we all do it you know like even that's, that's the thing about sometimes with people is that they're afraid to say something because you think that just then you're becoming everyone else we're all the same we, we all make mistakes we're all fallible we all do a, a mixture of good and bad and even though I may dislike people have abused me you know I've probably abused someone else in some way and, and not been aware of it or whatever you know what I mean so we're all the same so there's no higher than thou you know what I mean because some people and that's why I don't like people who start you know this cancel culture and like they're, they're attacking people for something they said 20 years ago it's like god if that same magnifying glass that you're putting on that person put it on yourself I'm sure you can find some dirt <laughs> you know what I mean so we're all doing that that's, that's, that's why sometimes we have to temper what we say because <laughs> I didn't think about it. I thought to myself I've just judged LeBron here when and the same way people have judged me you know what I mean because he's, he's saying he had no right to be here and I'm thinking you're six foot ten and you're and you know what I mean I think there's a stat where I think it's most people there's a certain percentage of people over a certain height are in the NBA I think it's like 40 percent of people whatever it is who are over six foot ten are in the NBA or something like that you know males uh, or, or or females I suppose you've got the WNBA but um, yeah, we still we all judge people about it, and people are going to judge you. So why are you going to be angry at somebody for doing something that you do, and all humans do? We all do it. We all make mistakes, and that's why we've got to have forgiveness. But you know, I don't want to get too far off the track of sport. But it's it's. I always found that sport is where it plays out. It's where life plays out on a, on a stage for us all to watch and and buy into. You know, there's not many places where you're there's eighty thousand people live watching something where the the outcome is not determined like in life you know i mean i'm going for a goal you know i want to become a millionaire you know that's not it's not like going to watch a play or a song or a movie with something that's already written you know what i mean life has not been written some people think it's written but i don't believe that you know it's not written you're writing it as as you go so just like i went to watch wigan play um huddersfield in the challenge cup at white hart lane and even though people thought Wigan were the, the favourites, you know, I mean, I just know that there's many times where you think that and then they, they, the, the result is not determined, you know. Huddersfield have got a say in this and they played a fantastic game, Huddersfield, and by all accounts should have probably probably won the game. But Wigan came up with that bit of brilliance at the end to, to win it. 
But, you know, Huddersfield maybe, you know, kicking themselves or, or whatever, you know. But I just felt Huddersfield were trying to win the game by not making errors, not, um, you know, uh, not, not, not kicking their goals, you know, making sure, tackling the other team, just being in the game and hoping maybe that Wigan beat themselves, whereas Wigan were going out there to win it, you know, probably made more errors. Um, but, you know, the two bits of brilliance uh, in the game came from Wigan. Um, um, two tries, I think one scored by Jay Field and one scored uh, the winner by Liam Marshall. But, you know, so there's always that narratives in sport, and, you know, what team are you? Are you, you know, are you the stopper? Are you, are you the go-getter? You know what I mean? It's like in life, are you, are you working to go out and create amazing things or are you just going out to, to pay the bills, you know, to, to, so you don't starve, so you're not homeless? You know, what's your mentality? What's your psychology? What do you believe about yourself? And I say all that thing about life in that uh, field of sport is played out for us all to see. And that's why, uh, and the, say the results are not determined, just as like life. So in any other thing you go watch, it's normally, you know, we know even though you don't know the, the ending of the movie, it's um, um it's already the movie's already made so <laughs> I, I think they even used to like, I think was it some type of movies they used to try and make two ends in it and it's just to to bring in that um uh, kind of like uh you know uncertainty into it but um yeah that's why that's the beauty of sport you love it you know and uh, you can go out and create a legacy and then you can your performance is what emotionally connects with the people watching because you know sportsmen can talk I'm going to do this I'm going to do that, you know, like in boxing. By the end of the day, you've got to get in the ring and fight, in it? Mm -hmm. But I always like to let my, my, uh, my, you know, what I'm doing on the pitch, because that's the way that sportsmen truly connect with audiences. You know, whatever you say after it, you know, you know, it's all based on what you do on the pitch. Because if you don't do anything on the pitch, nobody wants to listen to you anyway afterwards. It's like, because you've done something great and of note and you've captured that audience, then that gives you the platform, doesn't it? So people will listen to you. You know, I mean, you're not going to listen to someone who's achieved nothing and then he's going to go and sport. Whereas if somebody is the greatest of all time in that sport and then he speaks and he's got, you know, these fans and, you know, in the modern world, it's 20 million or plus Twitter followers or whatever the, the thing, you know, the platform is, you know, but back in the day, it was just having, you know, medals or trophies or that longevity or whatever it was that gave you the platform. and. And you know you could speak on things if that's what you wanted to do, and if it wasn't what you wanted to do, then you didn't do it. But um, you know, I, lo I love sport. It, it's it's been something that's been a big part of my life, and you know, has shaped who I am and given me so much. What was it like then, Martin, to to watch a Challenge Cup final not in its historic place of Wembley? Um, it was a little, a little bit strange, but you know, you're creating new history. You know, you're creating the time that um, you know the Challenge Cup wasn't there. But yeah, I think to me personally, but that's because I've got an emotional connection with Wembley because of not only playing there in in, in Challenge Cup finals, but also um, playing there, uh, you know, for Great Britain against Australia, um, playing in the World Cup final there in '95. Um, yeah, so it's got a, a special place in the history of the sport as well. Obviously, with the statue that's outside there, you know, with myself, Boston, Murphy, and all the other rugby league greats. And, uh, you know, the history of Wembley as a stadium, you know, regardless of, of, of rugby, you know, just because of, you know, uh, playing football matches there, you know, obviously England won the World Cup there in uh, 1966. You know, the year after I was born in, in 65 and, you know, all the concerts that you've gone to, I've been to take that there. I've been to see uh, many concerts there. So, you know, it, it's it's the national stadium. It's a, it's a place that everybody knows and can relate to, you know. There's not many people in this country can walk up to, say, um, Wembley Stadium. You know, there's the big arch there. It used to be the Twin Towers. Everyone knows it. So it's an iconic um, landmark. As we're coming to the end of the episode, Martin, I ask this of every guest. If you got to sit down with any athlete, dead or alive for that matter, who would that be and why? I think it would have to be Michael Jordan because of his 
um, mindset, and I think even more so after I've watched the, um, uh, you know, obviously the Last Dance series as well. And, um, you know, just obviously he had that switch over and it was his mindset and, you know, the, the, the personal coach that he was working with, was, who was not only a, um, a physical coach, but he was also worked on his on, on Michael Jordan's mindset. I think Michael uh, flipped a switch at a certain part of his career, which coincided with, uh, you know, the Bulls going on that, um, uh, that six, six um, you know, uh, winning a game uh, uh, championship run they, they had when they won, you know, I think it was two sets of three with a, a gap in between when he went to play basketball. Uh, but I say, I say Michael Jordan and another one people wouldn't probably um, uh, probably pick would be Gary Neville. And those are the two, only because I see them as the two uh, opposites, you know what I mean? Uh, Michael Jordan's the one, you know, people think, well, I, you know, he's like a Ronaldo, isn't he? It's like, something that not everyone can be, because not everyone's going to be six foot two, not everyone's going to be able to jump like him. Even everyone wants to be like Mike, not everyone could be. But then Gary Neville is somebody who people might think, oh God, he's not been given so many obvious gifts, but still managed to find his niche. He's captain Man United to a um, European um, trophy. You know I mean? He's got like, what's it, 80 caps for England. Uh, at, at, at um, rugby union, he's oh, sorry. At, at football, sorry, rugby union. <laughs> I think he was a cricketer, not a rugby player, but he was a cricketer as well, which showed you something about his mindset. He could make minor adjustments, and so reading his book, Red, I found very um, rewarding. So you know, those are the two sportsmen that I would love to sit down and have a conversation with because you'd get it all, then you'd get it all. And if they, I think if uh, Gary Neville and Michael Jordan came together and wrote a book, that would be the ultimate success book for any sportsman who could combine those two minds. Because you know, coming from the you know the Michael Jordan uh, Usain Bolt area, because you know that's the thing about sport, isn't it? You they sometimes you, you can come with all these gifts, or you can come with just your mindset. You know what I mean? And um, you can be success, as successful, um, you know, with both. And then there's some people maybe, um, you know, have a, you know, are on the spectrum at different stages because life is, you know, we're all on the spectrum <laughs> of, of life if you want to measure anything. But those are the two people I'd say that would stand out to me. Let me put you in a pickle because I'm curious. Where would you put yourself on that spectrum then? Where would you, I put myself on that spectrum? You know, I would definitely say... I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't know. I don't know where, but I'm somewhere. You know, I mean, people would say, you know, a lot of people have said I'm that in the Michael Jordan because they say, oh, he was only fast. But, you know, just, I said, if I, if it was only fast, then speed, then whoever was quicker than me should have been better than me. So it doesn't always work like that. You know, your skills are just a tool. It's like having a hammer. It's like if you give two people the same raw materials, like a block of wood, and the same tools, they're going to come up with totally two different bits of art, aren't they? So, so just because you've got, so that's what speed's like. That's like your height's like. It is just a tool. It's just, they're just tools. And then you've got to make with them. Obviously, if you've got, if I said to you, yeah, make, I gave one person, you know, a full box of tools and I gave one person a hammer. And obviously the guy with all the box of tools is going to still, is going to be in a better position maybe to make, um, uh, you know, a better object than the guy who's just got a hammer. But then if this guy with just uh, a hammer or a bit what well, is really creative, he can still make something just as beautiful because of his mindset. So that's how it is. So putting myself on it, you know, it's hard to, you know, you've, that's, that's a great question because, um, you know, you, I'd really have to take some time and reflection. I'm saying, obviously I had some guess, you know, obviously I could run 100 meters in 10.8. So I can't put myself down at that level, but I wouldn't put myself, you know, I wouldn't say I put myself at Michael Jordan's level, but I'd say, yeah, I had a modicum, modicum of talent, but I like to feel that um, I, I overachieved, but then um, who knows, you know what I mean? It's just about, it's your truth. So you can put yourself wherever you want, <laughs> as long as you can believe it. And that's the thing I'm talking about life. You can put yourself where you want to really. It's up to, you know, it's your truth. You can say whatever you want. Some people call it delusion or whatever, but if you believe it and you've got the results, you know, <laughs> It doesn't really matter, does it? But I must admit that is a 
That's a great question. I probably will ponder on that for the rest of the. Well, I'll, I'll probably be able to get the answers. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll ask you in the in the future, be it on Instagram or LinkedIn. Yeah. To see if you've see if you come to a. a to a, a decision conclusion, in, yeah. conclusion yeah. in terms of where you believe you well obviously it's, it's subjective so ultimately yeah. you, you might you might be harsh and people yeah. say well oh but i think maybe you're a little bit higher than that so the last question i'd like to ask you before we sign off martin is oh no it's gone now it's not good it'll come back um if you had to put into one sentence for people to take away what would that be what, what, what we've what we, what we spoke about today i've not worded spoke, that very well so yeah uh, yeah but i'll say that in life if anything is in the balance then what your believe what you believe will be, will be the determining factor so once again, thanks again, Martin, for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hoth. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute, not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. <laughs>